Hey, it's Michael Greco here, and you're listening to the Angry Millennial. Aren't they just all too happy to be angry? Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers. All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at clickgearclothingltd. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show, where we chat with creatives and entrepreneurs about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, the ugly. Today, we have co-founder of Startup Soiree and pixelated photo booth, Patrick Reif. Patrick, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to being on the opposite side of the question. <laughs> of course. And just, yeah, so let's start off with that. Uh, I know you you host a podcast yourself. I do. I mm-hmm. do. I actually have two podcasts, uh, one for Startup Soiree and one for Pixelated, uh, albeit Startup Soiree is the one that has gotten the majority of my attention, mm-hmm. uh, but it was supposed to be the opposite way around. <laughs> Isn't that always how um, it works, right? Yeah, yeah. Un- unfortunately, I think that with... Um, the Startup Soiree podcast is something that is so intimately tied into my everyday life, which is building businesses in Baltimore City and mm-hmm. uh, being around other people that are building businesses in Baltimore City. Um, and with Pixelated, I wanted to create a podcast um, that at first focused more on storytelling mm-hmm. inside of the city and really allowing, um, you know, Maybe, if you will, like a story core or humans of New York, mm-hmm, right, but one that was very focused in um and in reality, I didn't have time to really broker and brand the show the way that I needed to because I was mm-hmm. just going in too many directions, yeah I, um, I know that feeling, and then I wanted to really turn it into to a piece of content that was gonna really be tied intimately to where pixelated is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still kind of defining that we know what it is, but we haven't rebranded it and launched that yet. Right. So we, I made it to 10, I produced 10 podcasts mm-hmm. for pixelated and I feel pretty good where that is. And I made the decision that I would wait uh, until we really knew what the next steps were going to be and then figure out how to produce a show that really kind of aided that effort. So right. I think that what's going to end up happening is that the next piece of pixelated media like that will probably be like a video show that has nice. its audio ripped and pushed out onto a right. podcast format. And I think that it's probably going to be more around uh, brand engagement and brand and marketing, but inside of the actual real um, like activation space. So what brands are doing to engage millennials largely yep. um, in an actual face-to-face kind of format and how 
how pixelated does that. And then also, you know, like how other companies do that and how big brands are looking at challenging, um, how they interface with their user base. So, you know, CMOs, marketing Mm -hmm. managers, people that are looking at, um, making the exposure decisions for those larger brands and really kind of getting a chance to really pick their brain and think about what they're thinking about and, Mm -hmm. You know, talk to them about Periscope and Snapchat and right. all the kind of more progressive stuff that I'm involved in. And because uh, I think that stuff's really fascinating. Yeah. And I think that brands are going to use those in in really dynamic and decisive ways. And uh, I think it'll be really fun because, you know, from a, from a bootstrap side mm-hmm. of the coin versus I don't know, talking to someone at Coca-Cola right. and thinking about what they're thinking about Periscope or what they're thinking about Snapchat yeah. is is really cool and and something that I relish the opportunity um, because I am definitely a self-taught marketer. I think that I'm I think that I'm really good. Mm-hmm. I think that I understand brand a lot, uh, but I know that I have a lot to learn, and I think it'll be really fascinating to get a chance to talk to people who have way more responsibility in right. terms of having to provide very specific returns to their bosses yeah as opposed to me being the boss that wants to develop it for sure and i mean that's something that that i've i've made uh our mission with this podcast is you know we're getting in front of people who are successful enough to to kind of peek behind the curtain and give people a bit of insight but at the same time it's um with the lax format and that sort of thing the questions we ask are a bit off the beaten path in a sense of it also helps humanize those people. Like, you know, all you see is this guy, Oh, you know, hanging a helicopter, taking pictures and all this stuff. You don't realize that he's having the same doubts at two 30 in the morning, the same way you do, uh, just starting out. Sure. And, and that, that helps a lot of people. And, um, so yeah, you mentioned some interesting points that are in, in one way, definitely exciting. I mean, you should know this being being a found, co-founder yourself and a startup guy is that <clears throat> the last few years entrepreneurship has been trending upward to the point where it's cool right and we all know it's not very cool but at the same time the 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 fact that the spotlight is on the smaller businesses that are able to be a lot more mobile and reactive um to trends and that sort of thing that maybe the bigger companies like we all know have a bit slower way of coming around to things because of the checks and balances, the you know the politics and the red tape and that sort of thing. Um, so the the melding between those two is going to be really interesting. No doubt. I mean, one, I am I am uh, totally in agreement that uh, entrepreneurship is is has become very cool, <laughs> um, and it's not very cool. <laughs> it's it's actually pretty harrowing. Yeah. Um, and I'm not totally for the the um, pop culturing of it because I don't think that it fits a lot of people, and I think right. that that's a dangerous spot that mm-hmm. exists. Um, in the same way that I was never a big fan of Guitar Center because I thought that it was cool when people just wanted to like music and that everyone didn't need to be in a band. Right. Um, and I and I and I stand firmly behind that I, stuff. I take I think you're, it's, you're a music guy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And and I think that it's. I think that being a fan of music is a really good thing. And right. I wish that people felt better about that spot because it's more important than making music is yeah. supporting and mm-hmm. loving it. You know, yeah. like I didn't, um, I didn't ever have any bones about loving music and also having to say like, 
I'm a musician, by the way, you know, like I made music from the time I was five and six years old. I sat at the piano every day, not learning how to play it, but just like messing with it, mm -hmm. tinkering with it. I was right. always drawn to that stuff. Um, and it had nothing to do with how much I liked the music that I was listening to. And I was just, I mean, I can remember, you know, like talk about date, you know, I've never said like, oh, I'm going to date myself, but remembering hearing a song and then like getting like a cassette queued up to record it off the radio, you know, like on a tape so you can <laughs> yeah, have that yeah. like song, mm -hmm. um, that, that fire, that like passion for just like listening to a song over right. and over again, um, is like a beautiful thing. One of my favorite stories is telling people when I was stocking milk at Trader Joe's, um, I, I can be, I'm not obsessive compulsive at all. Mm -hmm. So it's not that, but I am, uh, in in the in the habit of studying things i find yeah. them to be interesting and i absolutely listen to that beyonce song crazy in love mm -hmm. for 6 hours a day 5 days a week for 6 weeks straight just yeah. that song on wow. loop and just studied like all the nuances of it mm -hmm. and, and loved it. Like I still love it. I didn't kill it. Yeah. Like I love that song. I love that kind of stuff. And for me, it was just about basking in like the tiny details and really kind of pulling it apart. Uh, and that's like a part of me as a music lover that really is, it's, it's just that desire to, to kind of you know, like really get with it. But I, I get all off track. That was my like spiel on, on being fans, <laughs> like people be fans. It's fine. And, like yeah. be, be supportive and, right. and you don't always have to get on the bike. But in terms of talking about young business versus old business, um, I am a consummate supporter for entrepreneurship because I think that it's going to be uh, one of the critical things that's going to help us change the way that our cities grow. Mm -hmm. um, and how that, intimately is connected with creating cities that aren't just for um, people with great means and creating cities right. and businesses and culture and jobs that push us into a place where we have economic prosperity and we have growth, mm -hmm. but we also are creating livelihoods for all of the people that make our cities up and right. not just for a very specific elite class that slowly but surely kind of devours what was there before in favor of what's there in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I really love, and I definitely do um, a lot of brand consulting outside of it. Uh, it's been one of the, the things that's happened over the last year for me and in, in kind of just elevating my profile and talking a lot about branding and being really engaged in it is those big companies that are seeking out uh, young operators yeah. because they're recognizing that there's a certain point of view that you can only have and you can only get to by being like scrappy and poor and just yep. being in a business where you're chasing vision and mm -hmm. you're chasing the potential and the payoffs aren't immediately obvious. You right. know, like so it's a lot of passion. Cash that flow passion. is gnarly as it's yeah. ever been, but I am no further away from being totally convinced about what I'm, what I'm doing right, right. now. So it's fun when I run my mouth all day long about like Snapchat and Periscope. Mm -hmm. And then you get these big brands in Baltimore that want to have coffee and they just want to like, know, well, well, you know, like, what are you talking about? Or what are you thinking? Or mm -hmm. what do you think? And that always opens up, you know, you, you're, you're a businessman mm -hmm. and you know, 
as creative as you are, sometimes at the end of the day, like you can't even think about anything creative about the angry millennial show anymore right. because you've like flipped it over. And then somebody comes to you and they go like, well, I own like a wood chipper business. And you're like, I would do this and I would do that. And I would do this. <laughs> so I love when people right. bring their businesses to me and mm-hmm. they're like, I'm really stuck. And I'm yeah. like, Oh man, like for this platform and I can immediately come up with 20 concepts for mm-hmm. how Coca-Cola should bring their new cherry flavor right. to farmer's markets or right. like whatever the case may be. And I really love that. And I think that it's it's so great because when we can create that feedback loop that's moving through the top end and moving through the bottom end, we're really starting to progress and we're really starting to understand not only the potential of products, mm-hmm. which is great, but also right. should have like a certain glass ceiling, if you right. will, because really it's important that we talk about people. Mm-hmm. But I like the way that, um, like for instance, I like the way that Snapchat gives people the opportunity to engage with a brand, right. but also to engage with their own ideas as it meets that brand. And yeah. that's a really cool opportunity. Um, so whereas like listening was important to monitor hashtags on Twitter six years ago, watching yeah. is now important because it gives brands indications of how people are participating with them. Exactly. And in in the, real time. Yeah. Right. And what yeah. they love about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it brings up a few good points. And one thing I want to mention is there's a, a book by, I don't know if you ever watched the shark tank. Uh, so Damon, right. Sure. He had a book and it's just came out. It's called the power of broke. And it literally <laughs> is exactly what you mentioned. The fact that being, a hustler being that you're starting something from nothing, having to bootstrap it literally makes you think more creatively than someone who maybe had, uh, you know, had a, a little cushion, whether it's, whether it's a, uh, you know, startup money, if you're in a tech space or whatever may have you, it, it really forces you to quickly figure out what works, what doesn't quickly figure out how invested you are uh, and ways to pivot when you hit, roadblocks because at that point it's still so new and it's not generating income that you can quickly go you know what okay this doesn't work let me pivot and go this way and see if that works and and enables you to be really um proactive not just reactive with with the decisions you're making because it's known but yourself you know you're not beholden to uh shareholders or to even investors at that point um so just to kick it off it was funny when i was asking around uh for the best people to meet in baltimore your name came up quite a bit. And and it, it, it's funny because I did it in a sense of the last, let's say, few. I've been here about a, almost a year and a half. <clears throat> and um, it's been the people, like when I was here, it was, I was still working in New York. I was still having contacts in Philly. So I was always either in Philly or New York and hardly ever here. And then when I started this podcast, I was making a very big point to go see everyone in person. So I was going to New York, Philadelphia, Boston. I went to Seattle. And and again, I started realizing the same issue. I, I, I sat back and I go, I don't know anybody in Baltimore. I don't know anyone in my own county where we live now. Um, that's got to change, you know? So so I found about Startup Soiree. Um, I found out about Creative Mornings, which I, I've known Tina's work for a long time. And uh, I found out about a similar one in Philadelphia that we can talk about afterward. Um, that all I, I think are are definitely uh, a good space and the people I think I'd know I'd meet in those would be, like you said, people that are all kind of in the common goal, but at the same time realizing how how much we all can benefit from learning from one another. 
Uh, sometimes people have this way of saying, oh, when something's different from where you are, you just automatically reject it. And I say the opposite. Own up the fact that you're different from that person and see how your differences can overlap. You could, I'm sure, and I want to ask you right now, um, tell, I want you to tell me a bit about your start in the entrepreneurial networking space, but I'm sure a big part of it was was seeing that, the people you co-found with, right? If you have founders and say, hey, look, I have this idea, but if you have three of the same exact person, it's not going to quite be the same as if you say, okay, we have three different people who bring three completely different things to the table that once you put them together in the essence of networking really work. So tell me a bit about, you know, how, how that started for you. Sure. So, um, I come to entrepreneurship from a, of, of, of a place of need totally and completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for full disclosure, uh, I'm 35 years old and I, um, grew up making music. Yeah. I, I intended to make records for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, I what kind of music? All kinds of music. Nice. Um, and I don't mean that to say that I uh, am non-committal. I mean that to say that I'm a, a, a very consummate music consumer, mm-hmm. um, and I have a, a pretty passionate love for not um, not needing to be a master of anything. Right. I, I'm not actually interested in mastering things. I'm really interested in the process of doing stuff. Kind of like Tim um, Ferriss's kind of outlook. Uh, I like that guy. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm not sure exactly what his outlook is as it corresponds to that, but just, just not wanting to, um, not wanting to be responsible to any one specific thing and wanting the freedom to just do, that's it. Do whatever he, yeah, I want. He, he to says do. he tries to learn things within six months <laughs> Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. If he masters it, great. If he doesn't, at least he learned enough right. to then say, I'm, I feel good. And then moves on to something else. Yeah. My goal has always been to do something up until the point where I can make it move mm-hmm. or make it make sound or make it smile. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, I have no interest in the fundamentals because what I want to do is I want to figure out where me and that thing mesh and turn into something special. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came to music, I definitely played in a lot of bands. I definitely came of age. Um, you know, I was a big underground music person. Uh, so I definitely played in a lot of bands, but I also managed record stores and I also had um, a father who was very eclectic in his music taste. So my exposure to a wide birth of music um, was there from the very beginning. Nice. So when I was making records, I was definitely making rock records, but I was also making um, really quiet folk records and I was doing things that were uh, really avant-garde and and kind of noisy music and then mm-hmm. making music that was, you know, kind of beats and production and that type of stuff. And nice. it wasn't all happening simultaneously. It was more whatever I was interested in and whatever I was finding um, some traction in at the moment. Uh, and then as I got into my 20s, I started to make visual art and really nice. got into like doing that. And that was the same thing, not sculpture, not painting, not mm-hmm. not not drawing all of that stuff and none of it simultaneously. Right. Um, so I quit school, college school mm-hmm. uh, after about a semester, maybe a few days into semester two, because I figured I was going to make records anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to get to it. Yeah. So I did that and spent all of my twenties doing a million, you know, I climbed telephone poles for Verizon. I hung satellite <laughs> dishes for direct TV no actually in this area, in this immediate, like <laughs> oh, wow. cul-de-sac. Yeah. Um, I, was a barista. I managed record stores. Uh, all of those uh, dot dot dot. All those like filler jobs 
until um, I was about 25. And my then girlfriend, now my wife and I decamped to Europe for a couple months and we hung out. And the plan when we got back, we closed down apartments. We gave up our house. And the plan when we came back was we were going to move to Manhattan. So that way I could make a a more concerted effort Mm -hmm. to get moving. Where in Europe did you go? Uh, We were in Italy for a while. We were in France for a while. And Spain for a while. Nice. those well, three. What do you think was your favorite? My favorite what? Like just City, area. Yeah. Spot. Yeah, area. Barcelona is the is definitely. I, I was about to say, if you've had a chance to make it to Barcelona, I went there in 2005 when I was in college. and I, I was there for like almost two months. I loved it. Barcelona is yeah. an amazing oh, city. Yeah. It's, it's definitely my favorite city in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> nice, I really, nice. Paris is great. and London is really incredible as well. Um, and those are the ones that I've seen. So all you other countries out there, I'm coming, I'm coming <laughs> for you. You ha- you still have an opportunity to, nice. to push them off. So at any rate, I, uh, when we got back, when I was there, mm-hmm. I kind of had made my mind up that I would decide if I was going to ask her to marry me. Mm. And if I wasn't that I should like let her move on. Yeah. She'd um, up the pot to do her thing. Right. And when I was there, I absolutely decided that it has, it was, it had been too long and that, I needed to move on it. And my wife is a very um, disciplined person and she had done kind of everything the way that most people do it. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted to figure out how to commit to getting some skills that, that made more sense, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in in the, in the regular sense of how we build our lives. So I, uh, we ixnayed the idea of moving to Manhattan because I knew that I would make music for the rest of my life whether I did it in that capacity or not. Right. And I went to school, went to Baltimore city community college, uh, didn't have a car, lived in the middle of Mount Vernon, took the subway out like that kind of whole life. It was really, really great, really wonderful, freeing to give up my vehicle and commit to living in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. Um, Spent, I think, three semesters there getting kind of some gen ed stuff together, transferred to University of Maryland, Baltimore County um, to pursue an art history degree. I thought that I wanted to curate, um, in my time there studying art history, I decided I definitely did not want <laughs> to have that type of job because it's not doesn't suit my personality. Right. Um, way too measured yeah. and pecking order kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I did really deepen my fine art practice when I was there right. and kind of started on some big projects. So graduated with the intention of being an, uh, a fine art handler. That's what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. Um, the white gloves and everything? White gloves, the whole nine <laughs> yards, yeah. And started kind of trying to figure out how to do that, but the market was tanked at that point and there yeah. weren't really arts jobs. So enter Direct TV and Trader Joe's mm-hmm. stocking milk at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. for months and months and months, right. rocking, crushing the Beyonce jams. <laughs> um, so I did that for a while until I got a temporary job at a gallery at UMBC. Mm-hmm. And then that emboldened me to re-cold call the firm, the art handling firm called Bonsai uh, mm-hmm. that I had been trying to go work for. And for some reason, my zeal that day got me through to who I needed to talk to. And nice. I ended up brokering a job. So I did that for about two years. Uh, I got really good at it. And not that any of those people will ever hear this, but I will add the caveat when I say really good, that is a, a good for the amount of time that I spent into it. But when mm-hmm. you're doing that kind of career, it's all about how heavy is the thing that you've rigged or so it's all about exposure and experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got good, really enjoyed it. Loved doing it. You know, definitely drove hundreds of millions of dollars of 
Wow. Picasso paintings around, wow. you know, with armed guards in the front and the back. You Holy know, drove, shit. Drove the Emancipation Proclamation through the night from D.C. What? to Detroit, like that kind of stuff. Wow. Very regular. That kind of yeah. stuff was very, very regular. Um, and it was cool. I loved it. I was really, really good at it. But it wasn't going to translate into a career that I could raise a family with. Right. Um, so I had had this experience with uh, being in kind of not a photo booth at all, but at a photography set up at a wedding where it was kind of all analog still, mm -hmm. but it was all on display to the wedding party. Right. And there was this performative part of it where people were having so much fun watching people smile in this photo set. Like there was no deliverable. No one ever saw the right. photos. Actually, I only saw them because my brother and sister-in-law and mm. they had the album and I went and visited oh, wow. them and they were like, there's here are yeah. the photos by the way. Mm. Yeah. And that always stuck. Um, it stuck with me and my wife. We talked about it over the years. Uh, and this is 1999, 2000 oh, wow. that this okay. happened. We always kept saying like, wouldn't that be a cool business? Mm -hmm. um, so fast forward and I had shared it with a friend and he went out to Chicago for a wedding and there was actually a photo booth there and it was pretty cool, yeah. but there was a lot of things that could be improved about mm -hmm. it. And he came back and he had gone out with, um, his brother-in-law who is, who is my business partner now. And, um, they kind of shared like, Oh, this could be like a cool business. And he said, mm -hmm. well, full, full disclosure, uh, Pat actually told me about this years ago mm -hmm. and I don't want him to think I'm stealing his idea. So let me just like clear up that he doesn't want to be involved. Mm -hmm. And he like, you know, posited the idea to me and I was, you know, moving art. I had a baby seven weeks away. Oh, wow. Um, and moving art for me was mainly a five day trip, six day trips around the United States wow. um, where I was gone. And that wasn't going to be a fit um, right. for me for having, a newborn. having a child. It's just not what I wanted to do period. I didn't yeah. want, uh, if I was gonna have children, it was cause I wanted to be, be involved. Mm -hmm. Um, with yeah, my children. For sure. So I was like, well, you know, like it's a nighttime thing and there's nothing, nothing keeping me from putting my energy behind it. And I don't feel like where I'm at is going to be a path forward. Um, so like, sure, like let's, let, let's give it a shot. And that was kind of it. Like nice. that, that kicked the door in and, you know, we, we each came up with a few thousand dollars and some credit cards with, you know, crappy interest rates. <laughs> and, and we just got to work and we nice. just started activating what we thought our hunch was, which was, you know, really exceptional quality photographs, mm -hmm. really exceptional quality prints, and uh, and not a booth that you get in, something right. that was uh, a kiosk style, mm -hmm. if you will, but that was sexy and kind of sculptural and aesthetically interesting um, and something that could really complement a really beautiful venue right. as opposed to being like an eyesore, like a pipe right. and drape or like yeah, plastic yeah. box or an ATA case. Right. And that like – that's kind of how it started and nice. just putting and my head down. And that was back down. in 2009, 10? Four years ago. So 2011. Okay, 2011. Yep. 2011. Yeah. So I could, I could keep unpacking the story, but for no, the question right. that you asked me, right. That, that, right. Was right. My, that was my entryway into it. For yeah. sure. And I think it was interesting. I mean, the, and this is, this is a good segue is like, how, I want to know how you pushed the idea for pixelated, because as you know, it's a crowded market. Now, the difference could be, okay, like most entrepreneurial or let's just say um, forward thinkers, you look at something and don't think that's cool. You look at something and go, how can I make it better? And that's the way a lot of uh, engineers and, and other people kind of think. And I think that's what creative people think. 
is is you don't take something at face value. You say, that's great. Here's what I can improve upon. Now, if you saw that over and over again over the years, which you did, then you say, okay, let's really make it go at it. And and the differentiating factor for us will be that it's just better, you know, and and you're you're taking all the weaknesses the other ones have and kind of expanding on that. Um, but just to, to me, the first thing, full disclosure, <clears throat> when someone told me, oh, he's a guy, he made a name for himself with a photo booth. And I thought, a photo booth? I mean, that, there's so many of them. Makes like, no sense. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, they're cool, but at the same time, I mean, not groundbreaking, right? You go, huh. And so tell me, what what, what kind of what was that like when you, when you first started getting into it? Yeah. Well, you know, so... I think even before I got into to being a, a business owner and trying to grow a brand, I understood branding. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't understand. I wouldn't say like I would have never been able to say that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I studied art. You know, like I understand balance. I understand you know what is appealing, what isn't appealing, and mm-hmm. what is done well and what isn't done well. You know, right. like my 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 gut can discern that stuff pretty well. Um, so when it <laughs> Definitely, we recognized that we could m- improve all the stuff that wasn't done very well with what was it. Right. But we also didn't. I didn't realize that it was a market that was happening. We were definitely on the early or on the early front side of it mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so it wasn't quite. After about fourteen months, was when it was like, oh, this is going to be like a slog. Like this is really, really hitting. And like, by the way. Groupon is crushing us on the conversation with people because they don't because they don't understand the difference between product A and product B, and it's hardly old enough to call an industry yet. Mm-hmm. So there is no indicators about that stuff. Right. Um, so it was hard, um, but we I would say for two reasons that ended up the way that it was. Um, one was that we didn't set out to build a photo booth company in Baltimore. We set out to build a national photo booth company. So our ambition was very, very high, um, very, very high. We, we, we fully intended to build a mega company. Um, and the other side of it was that from the very beginning, when I talk about wanting to build something that was sculptural and something that was interesting, uh, I was thinking, and and we can go back to day one where we're talking about what that sculptural piece looks like and who it appeals to. I was absolutely crystal clear that I wanted to build something that referenced restoration hardware mm-hmm. and that referenced classic American design from the 20th century and that would appeal to people that really were stunned at the window displays that they build in anthropology and people that read blogs that are about culture and clothes. Mm -hmm. And like, I really nailed our target demographic from day one. I knew exactly who we should appeal to. And I Mm -hmm. knew that if we could, if we could provide a very unique value that that group saw that I could Definitely still serve it to everyone else, right. but that if I did it in the opposite way, I would never reach the tastemaker crowd. Yeah. Um, so it started with that. In terms of getting traction, um, it was a night job, so it wasn't. It it didn't need to produce cash for us at that moment. It mm-hmm. needed to produce uh, inertia. So I I very specifically started looking at already scaled events. Um, I looked at, you know, I partnered with Baltimore City Paper immediately and I did everything that they did and I did it for free. And 
it was me and my business partner there. And we, when it comes to like energy, Mm -hmm. we like crushed it and we crushed it every single time that it wasn't just a photo booth. It was an, it was an experience and it was like the greatest part. We, um, from the very beginning, we tethered the photo booth to driving the images we were capturing into any available surface to project it on inside of the space, Mm -hmm. which turned that into a billboard for us there. Mm -hmm. So like no other features could compete because people were going like, what are those crazy pictures? And then the person would walk by and then they would go, Oh, that's here. Where (laughs) is that? And then it's like, where is that? Where is that? And people are, you know, like going crazy. So from the beginning, there was that, um, we did a great job with social, um, Mm -hmm. We did a great job with Facebook. Mm-hmm. We didn't do a great job with social. We did a great job with Facebook. Mm-hmm. We started making, uh, you know, you give anyone with an art degree a thousand photos and say, what should we do with this? And you say like, well, like we can animate it real easy. Like it'll take four minutes and we'll put a piece of music on top of it. And then like, it'll be super cool and right. it's fun. And like Animoto so, type stuff. So the pixelations mm-hmm. is what we branded them at the nice. time. We don't make them anymore. Oh, um, they, they had a, a disproportionate amount of effect for helping us brand out, helping mm-hmm. us trend out. And we just did it in that way, like market exposure at that, like total one-on-one level, you know, mm-hmm. like we did it. We were the operators every single time and, you know, no one can sell your product. Like you can sell your yeah. product. So we were just adamant about it. That's like, awesome. There was, there was no way it wasn't going to work. Right. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's the one thing that people uh, tell me a lot now is, um, you know, they'll say something to the effect of, oh, well, why don't you just relinquish to whatever? Or or why don't you bring on someone? And I go, because I'm not there yet. For right now, me. Like you just said, no one can look out for number one better than yourself. No one can articulate and educate your client better than you because you know the ins and outs of what you're building. Sure. Um, and like you said, no one can have that passion, right, that you will have that comes off. And, and especially at events like that, especially when you're dealing with the hardy-tardy crowd, it's not even so much as presenting it as fun. It's being an MC and getting them involved and saying to them, hey, listen, this is fun. Come on over. Have fun with it. I mean, the next thing I was going to bring up was I saw a shot of you talking at Creative Mornings two years ago now. And there's a shot of Kevin Spacey in a Netflix-sponsored photo Absolutely. booth. And I'm like, <clears throat> got to hear how you got that gig. Absolutely. But again that all wouldn't have been possible if you were not able to go to these rather stuffy type events and say, Hey, look, loosen up. Let's have fun. Grab a drink. Yeah. And just (laughs) hang out, you know? And, um, so, so I know you said it already in a sense, you were smart enough to partner with the right companies and also taking the big risk of quote, working on spec and saying, listen, I'm developing a relationship here. The short end or the short game, I could care less about. I don't. I won't charge you any money. I just want to develop the rapport, get your business, and we'll figure all that shit out later. And and that worked. You know, like you said, you got in the right crowds, and then you could leverage that to be whatever you wanted. Right. You know, um, and that's something that I think nowadays a lot of, especially photographers, they, they don't get. And I get it. Everyone's jaded. Everyone's got bills. But I know for a fact, the times when I chase the money. I was a lot less happy than the times where I did what I wanted and didn't get paid, but in the end it paid out anyway. Right. You know, so, so how did, was that a similar thing with the, with the Netflix 
uh, sponsored booth and 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 uh, and no 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 Netflix was was an, another photo booth company blowing it like oh, they, nice. they couldn't handle the capacity and they right. let it they let it go <laughs> <laughs> to do like a wedding shut up or something like I don't know right like the party was supposed to be on this thirteenth and then they had to move it to the like twenty second yeah. and they couldn't honor the commitment. And they so they sent a referral over. Didn't wouldn't refund Netflix. Oh my like, god! Like literally, like well, you know, like I'm sorry. And then told us like this is what I charged them. You can charge them the same thing, right. which was great. Um, but they let it go. They oh like referred god. it to us. And so no, Netflix was a paying client. And technically, those photos aren't public. Yeah. Uh, that was one that they had to lock it down. But after a while. Um, so I was there. I ran. Yeah. I ran that event. That yeah, was at, House of Cards, right? We had House of Cards. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was at Bond Street Wharf in Fells Point. They were having a, nice. like a, a season wrap mm-hmm. party or something yeah. like that. Um, and we had some employees by then. We had scaled up a little bit, um, but not enough to cover everything that we had going on. We start. That was when we were just starting to shoot two and three things simultaneously. Um, so I went and operated that one, and. Uh, Certainly actors don't need to understand like the potential <laughs> because the gallery is in, is incredible, yeah. like incredible. And um, Kevin Spacey is definitely a photo bomber. I mean, he oh my is. God. I've heard from other people who, who had the chance to meet him uh, that said he is as much of a jokester and awesome guy to be around as he, as people imagine he's like. Oh, yeah. Which is funny because he plays such serious characters. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of actors are like that. Oh, the guys man, who play was, serious roles are funny. The funny guys are rather rather reserved and serious in real right. life. It's right. just the way it the works. Flip flop. Yeah, he um God, he had he had so much fun. I mean, he's literally like seeing people in it from across the room and like running and like <laughs> lunging into them and they're like catching him. Uh I mean, it was uh Bacchanalia, yeah. uh for sure. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's great. So, um, speaking, going back a little bit, speaking of creative mornings, um, they've been on our radar for a bit and it looks like a, kind of like a creative TEDx type format, right? All around the world. What was, how was your experience? Cause even then it was, it was pretty much in its infancy here in Baltimore. So what was your experience like, uh, giving that presentation? Pivotal. Mm-hmm. Um, creative mornings was one of the, the, greatest experiences of my life actually wow nice Um, and that was because it did a few things um obviously i like to talk (laughs) um i'm a big communicator i I deeply believe in communicating with other people Mm -hmm. um i speak to every person on the street that Mm -hmm. i pass by whether i think they're going to ignore me or not um i'm i'm really passionate about connecting with people i love to talk with people um so we'll put that out there as like the preface. I was asked to do it. I'm not sure exactly why I was asked to do it. I don't remember. I can't get back to that place to channel in what brought me onto their radar. Um, but I was asked to do it by Katie Boyts, who was the host. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she was the original since, founder, right? Yeah, right. Now exactly. she, moved, she moved to Australia. Or she something? moved to Australia. That's cool. Um, she moved to Australia. Pour one out for her. We miss her already. Katie's an incredible person. Yeah. Um, I was asked by Katie Boyts to come in and to talk about transitions. Mm-hmm. And 
the loose way that I themed the talk was transitioning from an artist to a businessman. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, Pixelated was starting to see its pivot and where we were going to go. So mm-hmm. we were talking about transitioning from an events company to a company that was producing products. Mm-hmm. And then loosely um, transitioning from losing to winning. Hmm. Um, and that caveat comes because when I was a musician my whole life, I was um, I was insular and I didn't I wasn't comfortable with marketing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, like and, most artists have the issue, right? That's why. That's why. And, and, and it's funny thing about that. That's why reps exist, especially yeah. in art world. Because the people that are like grand and to the granular cellular level artists, they don't like talking about money. Uh, some of them don't like talking to people, period. Yeah. So it's like, I would gladly give up a cut of what I get to totally. have someone else out there selling for me. Totally. And yeah, you said it. Yeah. So I talked about that. Um, and I tell you, my big regret about Creative Mornings was I had never been to one before. Mm. The morning that I showed up to talk. And I say that because if I had, I would have prepared to relish in it more Mm -hmm. because so creative mornings is ultimately a monthly meetup that seeks to attract the creative class Mm -hmm. and have a conversation about a topic. Right. That's kind of like the nuts and bolts of what it is, Mm -hmm. but it draws together an amazing community of people. And, and it, it was, it was so fascinating because it allowed me to publicly say out loud so many things that I've been thinking for so long and to say it in a way that was constructive, mm-hmm. um, but also to say it to a, a, a community of people that were really ready to hear it. Yeah. Um, and to feel the validation back of those ideas that for me feel m- maybe kind of um, intense mm-hmm. uh, and maybe uh, a little bit too much to see that it wasn't too much. Uh, maybe it's too much for other people to say, but it's not too much for people to support and appreciate right. and to be able to like, you know, listen to and grow. You know, I mean, you finish talking to a group of people and someone comes up and says to you, I needed that this morning yeah. is a tremendously gratifying thing to have happen to you. It is. Um, so for, for that, that that's what creative mornings was about. I'm, I'm an adamant supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, we have mixed up with pixelated has definitely supported creative mornings mm-hmm. um, for the record starting this month's creative mornings. We've actually um, are in the process of designing a proprietary product for creative mornings. Wow. Um, we're obviously, we're just starting it in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal is that we create something that's really unique and then maybe we can, we can scale it out yeah. through the rest of the organizations. That's but, awesome. Yeah. Very supportive of it. Um, it does a ton for our city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's doing an amazing job of gathering people together and creating a monthly conversation that says, how do we take care of our own community and what are the valuable things that we see in it and how do we support that? I mean, right. Ultimately that may be, too great a simplification, but um, excited for it. The the transition that has happened. The the new leader is uh, a woman whose name is Olivia Obineme. Olivia, I hope that I didn't blow that. Um, Obineme, and she has been there from the beginning as well, helping mm-hmm. to grow it. Um, but now it's her turn, mm-hmm. and a lot of the things are going to stay similar. A lot of mm-hmm. the core values, but she's got an even more specific place that she wants to see it right it's a new idea dig down into baltimore Mm -hmm. and it's not 
um, it's not to put aside what they've done before, but she's taking all of they've done and she's using it as insight to make it better and yeah. to make it more for our city. For so, sure, for sure. Yeah. So I, I think I definitely can say, well, hopefully maybe I'll see you next time, yeah. next month. Yeah. I definitely want to try and make it out there. And two things that you'd brought up that I think are very profound and people can pull away from is I had the same experience when I started writing. So I, I used to write years ago only when I was in a dark place and, and I used to write like poems and short stories and that sort of thing. And then when I, when I started earlier last year realizing I want to get back to doing things for myself, um, I started writing blog posts and I got uh, picked up by uh, F stoppers, which is a big photography website and became a staff writer there. And, and it, it was, it was interesting because when I got on, I said, listen, I don't want to do bag reviews. I don't want to do tech reviews. And I'm very, I have a lot of gear. I know how it works. But at the same time, I wanted to be more of a long form content, broad stroke, like deep thinker. And they were totally on board with that. And everything I wrote was 15 to 2,500 words. And, and it, I, I honestly viewed it as therapy. I didn't realize that. It was very therapeutic. But what was interesting was, like you just said, that people were coming up to me or reaching out to me, rather, in, in comments, something else, saying thank you. And, and I'm sitting there going, like, holy shit. Like, I just very selfishly looked at it as I was putting my ideas on paper in a way, like you said, here's some things I learned through the hard way. Here's some mistakes I've made. Here's some ways you could leverage this into you know, uh, something, a learning lesson for yourself, but also here's some, a way you can use this as a way to kind of validate what you're doing. Because as artists, we're always very, like we say, we're always our own harshest critic. And it isn't until somebody else says, Hey, listen, you're a fucking rock star, you know, like, and, and it, that coupled with when I was teaching is the same thing. I teach at like a couple of local colleges. And, and one of the things I started was a business of photography class. And it was hysterical how many people, like you said, had great ideas but didn't realize it. Like one guy's like, I've been a chef for 30 years. I go, wow, that's awesome. Okay, you like photography now? You ever thought about doing culinary work? You ever thought about working as a food stylist? I mean, you could literally go to your buddy's restaurant who you know, bring a six-pack, literally just cook food you want to eat, shoot it, and within a day have a portfolio that's pretty fucking good. And this guy was just like, you know, his mind was blown. Or like you said, you asked me to look into in inward, right? I'd be fucking stuck for days. Right. But it, it's easy as an outward person looking in saying, Oh, dude, this is what you gotta do. Totally. And and it was like you said, it was amazing getting that immediate feedback. People saying, Thank you, you know, and, and that to me was enough that I said, That's worth it. I don't have to ever get paid. I don't have to ever make the leverage into something else. To me, that alone is, is payment enough mm -hmm. to say that this is something pretty good. Yeah. So let me ask you, what do you think differentiates startup soiree from creative mornings other than time of day? Oh, a hundred thousand percent different. So creative mornings one is an international platform at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, that seeks to engage the creative class and have themed conversations around something. Um, Startup Soiree is 100% Baltimore city based. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have intentions to scale it nice. beyond Baltimore at all. Um, it's something that we started. Um, my, my business partner and I conceived the idea together. 
Um, we spent six months kind of putting the platform together to have it happen along. Uh, and the whole goal for it was we were going to start building uh, software to move Pixelated through its pivot into kind of our next stage. Mm -hmm. And we had spent all of our time building resources in the events community, and we needed to change that. We needed to talk with people that were more in the startup world, people that were building technology, people that were taking technology to market, um, people that were up in that other space. And we also both have – Two, two young boys mm-hmm. and we didn't want to spend every night out networking right. and we hated going to networking events and getting preyed on by people that were selling insurance. <laughs> so we were like, to one tonight. <laughs> let's create this thing. Let's, well, we also like to party. Yeah. yeah. So like, let's create this networking group. Yeah. Let's throw it in our office because we have a 2,500 square foot office. Nice. And that way people have to come in and say, what the hell is pixelated? Mm-hmm. And we say like, Oh, um, it's this, right? We don't have to go out at all. And then we made it for founders only. So that way all the people that could come are were doing people shit. that were decision makers yeah. or were doing shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we vetted it really heavily from the first day. You have to like sign up to get on the list. You got to mm-hmm. prove to us that you own your own business and mm-hmm. then you get an opportunity to get a ticket. Right. Um, so that was the way we kicked it off. We wanted it to be a monthly event. Uh, and we wanted it to be really unique. We, had a a real focus on what the education portion of most networking events look like. Mm -hmm. Um, I take real umbrage at the events that have 400 people and one person on a stage talking to them for 45 minutes. Um, That stuff can be super effective. I have been in the audience and been infected and then stood in line with 70 people trying to say the thing you said about like, you know, like Sophocles really like hit home and it made me think about my dog and like one time, like all of that, all that profound stuff that happens, which I don't mean, I'm not trying to like denigrate that. Hmm. That is it is the profound right. stuff. Right. I just hated the line. Right. Like I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't get that. Right. So what we wanted to do was during our, you know, the opening hour, hour and 15 minutes, like lots of good beer, lots of food, um, lots of drinking, like good music. Mm-hmm get people excited and having fun. And then we wanted to move into what we, what we were calling a town hall style conversation. And we wanted to bring someone in who was an expert about whatever the topic was, mm-hmm. whatever we'll call it bootstrapping mm-hmm. uh, with Greg Cangelosi uh, from Betamore and uh, bring him in and have a talk about bootstrapping, but not have him talk at the crowd for 45 minutes about bootstrapping. So the way that we kind of develop the program is, I am see the whole thing mm-hmm. actively on stage with everyone, but they're the guests. Mm-hmm. So I come in and look them up and I talk to the crowd a little bit. And then we say, we're here to talk about bootstrapping. You all know this. It's been part of the branding. Greg, give us your three minute. Give, your, give us your three to five about who you are and why you're qualified to talk about this. Mm-hmm. They go through that portion of it and then they shut up. Mm-hmm. And then it's about, okay. Now let's get into the nuts and bolts. Mm -hmm. Either I've got some questions crafted or we open it up to the crowd immediately and we say, who wants to ask a question about bootstrapping? Mm -hmm. And my, my business partner, Nick Kina is out roving in the audience with a microphone and they put their hands up and we give them the microphone. And then they say, Greg, how did you bootstrap from $500,000 in revenue to 1.9 in that one year? Like what Mm -hmm. happened there? And then Greg says, well, 
this is what was part of it. And this is part of it. And this is part of it. And that's how I did it. And then it goes, does anybody else want to share anything about how they scaled in that money bracket, right? Mm-hmm. When you were trying to go from there to there. Right. And other people raise their hand and the mic goes around. So as opposed to it being like, I ask a question, he answers me and it's done. It became an opportunity for multiple people to chime in because mm-hmm. again, Everyone in the room owns their own business. Everyone in the room has cash flow problems, needs to find banking, is potentially getting sued, needs to learn about HR, needs to learn how to grow company culture, needs to learn how to bootstrap and be scrappy. And they all have point of view. Some have done it last year. Some are doing it in six weeks. Some will do it in two years. Some did it 10 years ago. And Mm -hmm. those are all different points of view at different timelines with different solutions that were effective. Yeah, and they're all valid. So what would happen is, all those people would talk and we get through, we like crush through, we do 40 minutes, we do 45 minutes mm-hmm. until it's at fever pitch. Mm-hmm. And then we literally cut it off. Nice. And, and the then, intention and then, behind yeah. that is one, come back next month. Mm-hmm. But two, take all that pent up energy and go talk to all of these people that are here about that. Like, let's continue this, right. but let's break it down. Yeah. And But instead of it being like, we're going to split you up into groups and like have a workshop, it's like, Go get more beer. Yeah. Go get more food. The music's coming back up. Go talk to each other. Love you. See yeah. you next month. Yeah. And what we found was happening was people were able to say, as opposed to saying, Craig said all that profound stuff. And I'm going to wait in line for an hour to talk to him. It was, oh, that guy talked about Howard Bank. And I'm trying to open up with a local bank. And I was thinking about them. So I want to find out his feedback on that. Right. And that woman over there used to be a paralegal before she started her like legal spin out startup. And I'm doing a legal spin out startup. So like there's some like right. synchronicity there. Mm-hmm. And what it did was it created these additional networking opportunities for people. It gave them their opening line. They were already feeling disarmed because they could see that it's just all of us standing around in this warehouse in South Baltimore on like a Thursday night. But like, I would choose to not be anywhere else right now. And it just, it just started trending to becoming this special thing. So we started it knowing that people would like it, but with our own goals in mind of just creating something that was very effective for what we needed to get out of it Mm -hmm. and not requiring us to put in an absorbent amount of time and, what it ended up being was it ended up turning into a, a really robust community mm-hmm. um, that over the course of the year, you know, we started with 70 people in the room and then February, March, it like dropped down a little bit yeah. and then spring hit and it started to come up. Mm-hmm. By the time the fall hit, we were regularly bringing 125, 130 people. Nice. And then we got an invitation to move it to the city garage, which is the new like incubator space on the Port Covington campus that Under Armour is building. Oh, wow. um, so we went there for one and we scaled to 350 people Holy in one shit. month. Um, wow. So, so pretty exceptional. We've done pitch contests for food businesses. Uh, we've had a bunch of, of one-on-one guests. We did a toy drive in December. I think we were able to get like 131 toys that wow. were given to, to children in Baltimore City. That's awesome. Um, and what happened over the course of the year was – All of that stuff that I said stayed true, but what changed was instead of it being businesses that were just looking to grow themselves, the narrative went towards businesses that were growing in Baltimore City Mm -hmm. and how Baltimore City is an incredible asset to grow a business within. Mm -hmm. And as our success starts to show up, 
how do we have an impact on the right. city that's how do you producing give us? Right. And that started to become that real sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from that point, it started to become a little less important for it to be stringently company founders. Mm-hmm. And it be- started to become important for it to be that, but also creatives that were in a leadership position mm-hmm. uh, and people that wanted to really have an impact in their city um, and didn't know how to do that necessarily. Right. And it started to be more about that. So Startups were a, even though it really did start as a business group and largely does operate a lot as a business group, it's not as exclusive. I mean, don't get me wrong. We'll still like edit you off of the list if we understand that you're like, a networker out doing their thing, like without any reservation. A, we'll a, cut what you. is it? A BNI type person? Or yeah. Or, like or, or like, or, or a network after work or any of that kind right, of like right, stuff. Right. And that's fine. Like I don't, again, I don't mean to denigrate that because everyone needs to make contacts and mm-hmm. be, and be pursuing in their career. It's just not what we were looking to talk about. And those weren't the kind of relationships that we were looking to foster. Right. Yeah. Only so many people can use uh, at home nutrition regimens and insurance and banking needs. Copy paper, whatever, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Toner. So I'm going to circle back for one quick second. Um, being as you are a gallery type person, art handler, and all that, have you ever heard of design the Design Museum Foundation? I don't believe so. No. no? So you, I think this. So this guy, Sam Aquilano, is uh, one of the co-founders, and uh, I interviewed him in Boston. And uh, his episode actually goes up next week. So you definitely should check it out. Awesome. Now, Design Museum Foundation, to, to really, and I'm probably going to not do it justice, but it's basically he went to RIT, then he worked at Bose and was an engineer and understood design really well and said, you know what, for the most part, design, like I'm sure you saw in the art world, foundation, or museums in general are for either the very affluent or people who maybe still might go on like a certain day when it's free or student discount or whatever. But he thought, okay, if we take the model that is nowadays with Airbnb and Uber and all these things where you sit there and go for a long time, they were trying to get space. Then he said, you know what? We're going all about it all wrong. What if we brought the design out to the people? So all the things they do are in underutilized or abandoned spaces or on sidewalks, free. So people can walk up and interact with the elements of design. Like if you think about it, people don't realize it, in, especially in the city, design's everywhere. You think about even out here in the Hartford County, I used to shoot the uh, Baltimore Grand Prix. And you remember those those um, bike racks they had made mm-hmm. around then, right? That were like the the people like on a bike and all kind of Absolutely. thing. Now I see them repurposed and, and, and all in Hartford County. And I remember seeing them when they were in, in the city and they were made for that event. Um, so he was kind of saying like the same thing where, where in some cities you'll even have park benches and bike racks that are very design uh, oriented elements that people can, can kind of check out. And they started in Boston and now they're already in, I believe, San Francisco and they're going to be in Portland uh, soon. But it was interesting because he was kind of the same effect. Was, I love it. I love design, but let's bring it to the people and make it accessible, you know? Um, so hearing this guy talk, who's very, very educated, young guy, but he's about, about our age. I want to say 33, 34. And, um, and, and is doing great things. And he, he, he was, like you said, he was big proponent of like bootstrapping and, and also as well, um, you know, government grants and, and different kinds. So he, he definitely had a very creative way of looking at, at starting that. 
Um, so I think just real quick that next week, if you're going to check out one, that might be one to check yeah, out. Absolutely. I've subscribed. Okay, cool. So you're in my podcast player. <laughs> there you go. Sweet. So what's the biggest risk you would have said that you've taken with Pixelated and Startup Soiree? What is the biggest risk? Mm-hmm. I don't think I've taken one. Really? I think that the biggest risk would have been to not do these. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like you talk to anyone that knows me and they'll tell you that this has been a pivotal, pivotal thing in my life Mm -hmm. for sure. And, And I say strongly, I will make records again and I will put on big art exhibitions that are my work Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, And I will unabashedly market the fuck out of them uh, because what I understand now is that marketing isn't a dirty word, um, particularly when you're embodying what you believe in. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't feel so dirty. All of the marketing that I do for pixelated and that I do for startup story is exactly what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. I don't do it's, it's, you know, it's very hard to define. Mm-hmm. People ask me what I do at my companies. I can't really say. I'm like, well, you know, like you see all that stuff. Like you see me, you like you have a bead on where I am. And I was like, that's what I do. It's like that's what I do for my company. It's they're intimately connected. So I don't, I don't look at it like that. I I I think that my the the greatest risk potential would be for me to go get a job when cash flow is tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the biggest thing that I risk is uh, maybe my marriage. Um, I, like I, I risk those fundamentals, but they're in pursuit of, 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 of who I am, of like why I'm drawing breath every day. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have not to get too heavy, but we mm-hmm. have a finite period of time to which that we can accomplish goals. Yeah. And at this point in time, you know, like I have a very limited set of things that I'm a pursuant of, you know, like I actually, don't really care very much about money. I will find it to be hilarious if I end up making a bunch of money. Um, that said, if I have to be in business, I want to make a lot of money. One, because I want it, like I want that humor. I want mm-hmm. to have that thing that I didn't want anything to do with pay off so extremely that it's just like, you idiot, like you had no <laughs> idea. Uh, but really, I mean, I need to set good examples for human beings, yeah. right? You know, like I need to, uh, I need to set good examples for my children about right. how uh, life can be amazing and inclusive of everyone. Mm-hmm. I need to set good examples for my city uh, that we should all fight, be fighting really hard for one another uh, and taking care of one another. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I think, you know, that's why, and it's whatever, hilarious that people, that multiple people told you that you should talk to me. But that's why people say that, is right. that I'm so passionate about reaching out to people and being sincere. Like mm-hmm. I'm so passionate about being sincere with people that it resonates with them. Yeah. And for me, like hearing that feedback from you tells me that I'm, I'm moving You're doing in the it right, right direction. Yeah. yeah. And for sure. I mean, it, it was funny. Like I've had a similar feeling with doing this and, and the people I've approached the bigger names, they've, I've known them for a while. Um, but it was funny how other things, other ventures I've tried, uh, whether I was, forcing to fit or whether I was coming from a, a bad place in terms of, of, of trying to push it out there, whatever may have you. Um, I think when I started approaching them about this, it was an un, a, like a enormously supportive. Yes. You know, 
And, and I've asked some people about that and they say, look, dude, like if you're an entrepreneurial kind of spirit, you have a thousand ideas. You'll have maybe 10 that you actually go after maybe two or three of them. If you're lucky work and you never know what that's going to be. You never, you just got to keep taking swings and not take it personal and realize if something didn't work out, maybe it's timing, revisit it later, whatever. Um, but it was like you had said, I think I was coming from a genuine place as to what I wanted this to be that people resonated with that and said, all right, I'm down to be on, I'm down to be part of it. I'm down to help out however I can. Um, now let's let's be real for a second and say what I'm asking for is for them to sit down and talk about themselves for an hour. But at the same time, it's yeah, it's 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 for once I think people could see that genuinely I I I had found a place where I I was comfortable, and that like you said, I can sit here and and say without the reservation that I'm still not making any money, right? Uh, I'm going on a year being unemployed from the last job I got let off on still scary but at the same time the fact that i'm all in in here mm-hmm. and in here about what i'm doing i know it'll work out yeah and that's and and that's what i try to tell people nowadays when they see me and they they see me from where i was six seven months ago just angry all the time right looking for work going to interviews going on these things and, and not making anything anymore because i was beaten down i was scared mm-hmm. that they say dude this is like a completely different person and i go yeah because I, believe me all those fears are still there We got two kids and all this stuff. Like all that fear is still there. However, it's the way I'm approaching it and looking at it. And and the mindset is completely different. And in that sense, I'm happy. So I can't complain, you know, Um, because like we said, I've had jobs that pay me a great salary, but I'm pissed off all the time, stressed out, you know, and and that's not a good place either. It's a holistic point of view, Mm -hmm. you know, like for me, I'm always touching on and I'm, and I am, uh, I'm, in no way a religious person. Uh, I was definitely raised a Roman Catholic. Uh, so I, you know, all the, all you, all you broken Roman Catholics out there and know <laughs> what I mean by being totally non-religious. Um, but I am definitely someone who believes in balance and, and spirituality, whatever that means. And even that is like a fully un, unassociated, but you know, it's got to do with like, you know, it, it's all about that that focus and balance that happens in life, and really being lined up with what is worth pursuing mm-hmm. in in your heart. You know, and um, that doesn't have to produce dollars. Yeah, like it, it doesn't. Like it doesn't have. It's, it's only our society that makes us have to produce dollars. I um, I say very regularly that if there were one thing that I could delete from my current life it would be having to make dollars mm-hmm. happen in my companies. Mm-hmm. If I could take that the, the the monetary transaction out of soiree, well, there's no dollars in startup soiree, but if I could take the monetary transaction uh, out of pixelated and that and its need for a monetary transaction for us to do more, I'd do it in a heartbeat. In mm-hmm. a heartbeat, because mm-hmm. it's not any of what I love about what I do it has nothing to do with money mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. At like like fucking zero has to do with money <laughs> right so uh and i think we kind of alluded to this but what do you think is your biggest fear creatively what is my biggest fear creatively i mean what you kind of alluded to what, what it could be is saying maybe your biggest fear is that all these things have to suddenly completely make money to make sense and they kind of go off of that cliff and, and it, it stops being fun. Yeah. You know, my, my biggest fear creatively is, 
um, is losing my commitment to um, to what I'm doing. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I really don't think that's going to happen. I think that I'm clever enough to keep getting out of the out of the trap mm-hmm. uh, of that happening. Right. But yeah, I mean, my my greatest fear is losing the perspective of who I am. From the time I was a young kid, I definitely think I'm and like I'm an odd guy. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty open about saying that I think I'm a pretty odd guy, um, and I've been an odd guy. Right. Uh, it's always felt like this in my head, mm-hmm. and I've stayed that way, like barely intentionally. Much, you know, much to the chagrin of people in my life that are frustrated with with that, but. I, I look at that as like my proprietary hunk of like mm-hmm. life and I don't know who I would be without it there, even right. though it's difficult. Um, yeah. even though it like introduces a lot of struggles, um, and, and challenges for me, I don't, I wouldn't trade it for the world mm-hmm. and I don't know who I would be with its absence. So right. that's my biggest, my biggest fear is losing, um, losing faith in the way that I choose to operate. Yeah, and I think you brought up a, a good, a good thing that, uh, you know, full disclosure. I'm a person who went to college and then went to grad school and got my MBA. However, after I graduated, that was six years of, like you said, of uh, filler jobs. You know, uh, working at a Planet Fitness for eight dollars an hour, mopping up floors, wiping out equipment. You know, most recently working overnight construction jobs. All those things, though, I think are necessary. Like oh, man, you said, I've got the, I've got the Uber the, and yeah, the Lyft life, tab there you go. open on my laptop right now. Just being like, all right, like what are my short term solutions for quarter one? You know, yeah. like I run an events company that pays my bills and mm-hmm. like quarter one is slow. Right. And like, what do I do to get through the lean? You right. know? And I would like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like whatever. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I think it sounds really fun because I, again, again, I like to talk to people. Yeah, so yeah. the notion that I get a captive person to talk to like that every 25 can't run minutes, out. I can't run away. It has to pay me to do it. It's <laughs> like, maybe it's actually the best thing that I could possibly do. <laughs> yeah. Like you sit there and say, um, like a lot of people can, can attest to education's great. Don't get me wrong. I'll never, I'll never regret getting my education. However, uh, the the theme that followed, I think, was a necessary one. Was you need life experiences, and you need fucking hard life experiences to shake you up and say, "All right, what are you made of? Right? You know, can you keep going? Can you can you keep doing it? Is this is this not beneath you? Yeah, you know. Okay, great. I'll do all that. You know, I, I subletted. I I had shitty apartments in crappy neighborhoods. I I did whatever I had to do to get by and not feel like I was just stagnant. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is more than any person can learn from a book. Mm-hmm. And and it took me a while to figure that out, that all those things that seem shitty are really just awesome. And 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 what they'll do for you on the tail end is so is worth more than probably what I'm still paying off in college loans. I mean like stocking milk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I fought hard to get them to give me a set schedule because it's all like swing shift work. Right. And I fought and I said if you let me work a constant schedule, I'll work the 3 a.m. to 11 a.m. shift mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. five days a week. And I will always handle the freezer and the refrigerator, which involved you lit, like being in it right. for, for yeah. six, seven hours a day. And uh, I can remember driving in and 
um, and crying to myself because I really thought that I was wasting my potential in life. I was really, really upset about it. But I tell you, the amount of times that I've told the story of uh, of rotating the milk, right? It's all Lab- labels dating. out, right. not labels out, like spoils, right? Oh, like okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. the 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 oldest milk front, yep. the newest milk in the back, and like that is backbreaking work. I can imagine. But I have a tremendous work ethic. Right. And that's something I took really seriously. And I never one time ever compromised on that. Yeah. And what the thing was, was I wasn't a fr- I wasn't ashamed of the work I was doing. I was just ashamed that I wasn't giving my mind as much as much opportunity as I thought it deserved. Right. And I was really worried that I wasn't going to find a place where I got to let my brain really grow. But when it comes down to like just hard work, like hard work is great. Yeah. Hard work is incredible. Like mm-hmm. actually doing it. Yeah. There's nothing that you can trade for that. Yeah. And I literally wouldn't trade any of it. I wouldn't trade any of my time at 4 a.m listening to Beyonce in a freezer <laughs> in Owings Mills, stocking milk for Trader Joe's. Right. Like it was an incredible experience. And yeah. it was all because of, you know, like you look in the mirror, what are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to show up? Yeah. Or are you going to back down? Like yeah. I wasn't going to back down from right. anything. Yeah. And it, it was scary. I mean, I would meet people uh, like at Planet Fitness, right? Eight dollars an hour, and this is only a couple years ago. So I'm sitting here thinking that is that is way. God, that's like minimum wage. Like, oh, I'm thinking to myself in high school I made ten dollars an hour at certain jobs. Right? I'm like, fuck, moving backwards. Right. So, <laughs> but what was funny was like you just said, I have the same work ethic where I sit there and say, it doesn't matter if I'm getting eight dollars an hour or eighteen hundred dollars an hour. I will do the job to the best of my ability because that's just the way I am. Right. But what was sad is. Like you can imagine those type of jobs, not to generalize, attract a certain type of work ethic. So after a month, they were telling me they wanted me to be assistant manager. Mm-hmm. Now I can tell you, I didn't make any friends at that job mm-hmm. because you got the people who've been there for six months a year, dragging ass, coming in late, coming in high, whatever else, being like, that was my job. And I'm sitting there going, okay, and here's the best part. I'm going to turn it down. Right. Because like what you were probably thinking was, to me, this is a filler. If I keep advancing to that point, this is going to this is gonna become a filler to a full-time thing. And that was never my intention. My intention was always, I'll work this during the winter when photography is slow, and then I'll, I'll make it I'll make an, an amicable enough of an exit where I can come back next year. And, and they know I, I will do the work, you know? And it was funny. One of the things I would do is I would fold... Uh, I would fold T-shirts, right? Just like folding uh, things they had, right? And I would I would gladly grab ten boxes and, and rip through and do them for hours. And one of my the assistant manager time comes over and goes, "Oh, you you someone must have been in retail, right?" And I go, "No, I just I find this oddly therapeutic. I get to plug in <laughs> I get to plug in a an earphone that no one sees, just listen to music and just fold shirts. And you know what? As much as I like interacting with people." being behind the counter and being told you're a fucking retard for eight hours a day gets old. So I would go, okay, I'd do it for half the day and then I'd go fold shirts for sure. the end of my shift and then go back. And, sure. and it, But it was funny because I did it, like you said, to do it my job well, to have some variety, right, in my life. Sure. But they looked at it like I was the hardest worker ever and they wanted me to stay. And it, right. it was just sitting there going, I just put in 
this much more effort than other people. Yeah. You know, they look at like this job is shit. So I'm going to give it shit. Uh, that's not going to get you very far. There's a great, um, creative mornings was really funny. Uh, for a few reasons. And one was because I talk with my hands a lot, mm-hmm. apparently. Uh, and I was in front of a room full of people with cell phones taking pictures of me talking with hands. So you look like you're taking flight at one point. Literally. <laughs> and there was a whole stream of tweets that went out that were like memes of me, like, oh my God, that's gesturing. Too funny. <laughs> and, and it was really, really great. But one of the, uh, there was a full, a few pool quotes that went out. Mm-hmm. And one of them was me saying, you know, here, here's like the secret. If mm-hmm. you give, the tiniest shit <laughs> you're going to win yeah. because nobody fucking cares about anything at all. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is care the tiniest bit and you're literally a Phoenix coming out of like a burning fire. And I said, and maybe that's a little disappointing, but let's all just recognize it as opportunity yeah. because for you and for me, it's not disappointing. Right. It's opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You sit there and say it, it's, it's, not rocket science, right? You get out there, you meet people, you make the connections, you have a smile, you have some sort of talking points. And beyond that, you just listen. And and a lot of what we do is, uh, especially in photography and stuff like that, is, is what are your needs? And guess what? Everyone nowadays has a need for something. Like full disclosure, when you're telling me what startup soiree is, in my head, I go, that's exactly what I fucking need. That's exactly what I wanted to check it out. It is. Yeah. And 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 essentially for the same exact reason that I'm doing the other things that you talked about that I'm finding very unfulfilling. Right. But I'm sitting there going, you know what? If I go to them, meet one person who I even just remotely like, to me it was a it was a good a good day. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean um, when I was networking um for pixelated and people would always be like, Oh, what do you do? And I say, My only goal when I go out to do this is to have two conversations that when we both go home, we can be like, I've had an an amazing time hanging out with that person. I get like, they could be driving limos or whatever. Like, no, like they're not going to like, there's no way they're going to influence sales of Mm -hmm. photo booths. Like nothing like that. I didn't care. Right. Because the thing was, is I was going to be out spending a period of my life in that in that that environment that night mm-hmm. and i'd be damned if i wasn't gonna have a quality experience that i could appreciate and that i wasn't gonna not engage with two human beings in a sincere way where we recognize each other for human beings and not just the potential gateway to like more sales mm-hmm. for whatever my my furniture rental company or like my glass etching company or whatever that might be. Cause that wasn't like, that was never that. If I went there with that agenda, I was going to go home brokenhearted all the mm-hmm. time because right, I'm course. not a salesman like that. And right. I, and I can't be, I don't know. I don't understand that. Yeah. And I don't want to behave in that way. But if I went there with the goal of just like having, having fun and just mm-hmm. talking and, and really appreciating where I was in the moment mm-hmm. that like I would win Every single time mm-hmm. because I was, I was going there with a very specific agenda in mind and it was to be a human being. Right. Right. So listen, Patrick, I got to say, thank you. Um, we're going to wrap up with these last few questions here. Uh, so for these last few, actually the last one, really, um, we can keep the response to about a minute or two. Uh, I can even tell you this next question. I have an idea of what your answer is going to be, but maybe not. So 
Time for a deep one. If you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you still yes. make things? Yeah. 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 And it's funny, whenever I ask that question, whether the answer is yes or no, the person says it immediately. And and it's funny that I laugh every single time because I sit there and say, yeah. And some people go, and I see both sides. Some people go, creating stuff is me. I will do it whether no one sees it or not. And then some people go, well, being realistic of myself, I create things for others. So if it was just for me, and it'd be this kind of egotistical kind of thing, it wouldn't fulfill much of an, uh, 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 the void as it does now. But either way, they know immediately. There's no thinking about it. It's I can't even get the question out. Everyone goes, yes or no? Yes, no, yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think about my companies as as um, as art projects. I don't I don't approach them like companies. I approach mm-hmm. them as a channel for creative energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try and imbue them with that sense of potential and that's that sense of being able to um, approach it uh, from a very different angle and it not needing to be any kind of historical version of what I understand that to be. Um, so yes, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I don't create things for people. Right. I mean, I create things that satisfy me and I don't mind looking out for the opportunity um, to share it with as many people as possible. That's, that's just, that's the gift that comes on the back end of creating something that's valuable as people connect with it. But um, if you're not connecting with it from the jump, I'm not sure what it's really worth. Right. And it, it's funny, you bring up something that, that I think is a place that creatives get only after a while. Some people are lucky enough in the beginning, but I think for as most it's, it's, it's only after the fact is that when you create stuff for yourself and no one else, everything else kind of falls in place. And like you said, if you chase the money first, you may get some money. You may make some money, but it won't last. Whether you get burnt out on how busy you are, whether you have all you accrue all these things and realize you were chasing the wrong things the whole time, or whether you use that money to then say, I want to just give back and I want to do something completely different, you're going to realize that it's not what you want. Direct, you know? sure. So, so it's it's when people go, you know what? I started making things I like. So, full disclosure, the guy who one of the people who put me in touch with you is Paul Rich from Brothers Rich. Yeah, and he said, and I asked him. I said, and he said the same thing. I'll always make stuff, right? And I asked him. I go, you know, like the bike he made, right? The um, blanking out the name right now, Charleston or something like that. Something about the Carolinas. And he said. The reason why is because I made it because I was biking every day to work around the city and, and wanted those needs met. And I built something that I knew I'd like. Now, if other people like it, great. That is just like, a, like you said, a bonus. And, and he's like, knowing that, that's how it always is. Everything I make isn't necessarily what's viable, what can, can scale. It's what's some cool shit I want to make that I would use, that I would like. If it takes off, great. If it doesn't, I could really give a shit less. Consummate craftsman. Mm-hmm. Massive, massive fan of that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about somebody making incredible products in the dark. I mean, you know, I talked to him uh, last week. For the, nice. we, haven't been on, we haven't talked to each other in a while. He gave me a call and we were talking about, you know, like just kind of like barnstorming through and, you know, like he, he was, you know, kind of lamenting a little bit, mm-hmm. like not, not selling more. Right. And I was like, you know, 
don't sweat it. Because yeah. at some point, you're going to find like a business partner who is exceptional about taking the amazing things that you're building to market. And I said, anybody that that looks at everything, every single thing that you turn out is going to be like slam dunk, slam mm-hmm. dunk, slam dunk. Because mm-hmm. the quality and care and intention that you put into your life, yep. I mean, God, look at everything that he does. Like yeah. Everything that oh, he yeah. does, whether it's like the glass windows in his new space or the mid-century furniture or the beard oil or the gold, like crab mallets that have gold. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like I have, I have the old bay to be like packed yeah. in them. Like, yeah. I mean, all of that, the bicycles, uh-huh. like all of that stuff is so aesthetically in line. And, you know, and, and then you start to learn about like his family, mm-hmm. his brothers yeah. and, like that shot, like I was so sad that I learned about that story by having to see it through his brother passing away. Right. Um, but I'm still fucking psyched that I did because yeah. I got to like pull that thing open and start to understand why he's such a unique and amazing human being. And it's because he's from unique and amazing human beings that are all like super talented, yeah. like real taste made, like yeah. – I mean, holy moly, that shop. So, And then, like, where it was, you Mm -hmm. know, this idea of, like, being down in the South and selling, like, wares in a day and age where you perceive the South to be pickup trucks with gun racks and, like, beer cans in the back. And then you've got this, like, his, you know, these consummate Southerners that are very much about gentlemen, right? Mm -hmm. Beautiful thing. Right. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I actually have the – some beard oils upstairs he gave me, and he gave me those crab mallets too, and I thought they were exquisite. Oh, man. He's you awesome. Know? So he, he he was a great guy to have on. Um, so last but not least, uh, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Sure. So um, I will be uh, embarrassingly forward and encourage all of you <laughs> to follow me uh, <laughs> on social media because I have moved out of driving any of our brands um, Mm -hmm. with my own hand because they've gotten too big. Um, But also because I needed to figure out how to talk about all of our brands. And I do that through, um, through my channels Mm -hmm. ostensibly. Um, So Patrick Reif is me everywhere, whether it's Instagram or whether it's Snapchat or whether it's Facebook or whether it's Twitter or Gmail, Patrick Reif at Gmail. Um, I own all of my real estate. I got really lucky. Um, I have it all. Aside from that, um, for anyone out there listening that wants to engage in like a really cool brand Mm -hmm. uh, that's really about culture, uh, I would encourage you to check out Pixelated, spelled uh, P-I-X-I-L-A-T-E-D. We have, uh, if if you Google Pixelated or Pixelated Photo, you will absolutely find us. Um, And then for all of you entrepreneurs that are out there listening along, I would encourage you um, to check out Startup Soiree. The website is startup-soiree.com. Um, and we've got Insta and Twitter and all of that stuff as well. We, we own the real estate for it. And you know, ultimately, it's a monthly networking group that is for entrepreneurs and founders and people in positions of leadership uh, in Baltimore City largely, but obviously we'll, in, we'll invite you in from any of the surrounding areas um, and come come hang out with us. Come, come check it out. Come engage with the community uh, that's going to be front and center in, in helping Baltimore move through this really incredible renaissance that we're going to experience in the next 10 or 15 years. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. It, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely will be uh, 
we'll be checking you out as well. Awesome. And, and that's R-I-F-E, right? Yeah, you got it. Um, now, again, I, I know I said last but not least, but this is the last but not least. Who's someone that you think would be, um, that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Yeah. Do I have to pick one person? Ah, you can give a couple. Okay. All right. Because I've got like 4 million people. So I, um, I would encourage you to talk to, uh, to B. Cole and Aisha Pugh. Uh, they collectively... Uh, do something called Dovecoat, D-O-V-E-C-O-T-E. It's a new coffee shop in Baltimore, but it's really, um, it's really based in community and bringing people together. Uh, and then uh, Brioxy, B-R-I-O-X-Y, uh, which is a business that focuses on uh, helping people of color get homes uh, that are theirs. Um, I would encourage you to talk to Richard May. Uh, Richard May is involved in a new project happening in Baltimore called Innovation Village that uh, has a plan to kickstart a redevelopment of West Baltimore, albeit one that is uh, highly allergic to gentrification (laughs) and the model by which that happens, uh, and one that's really harnessing the power of the entrepreneurial community to Mm -hmm. do that. J.J. Reedy from Urban Pastoral is doing incredible, exceptional things in the city. Uh, I would tell you that, I mean, man, the list goes on and on and on, and I don't want to miss any of my most amazing people. Um, well, I mean, a lot of times it's it's a couple people to kind of get the gears going, but yeah. obviously I can I can, I can can tell that uh, we'll be definitely continuing the conversation afterward yeah, sure. and, and, and seeing what uh, what great people we can put us in touch with. For sure, absolutely. All but right. the, that, that, that's a good hunk of that is a good start. incredible people, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, listen, Patrick, thank you again for coming out today and uh, look forward to seeing you at some of the uh, new events. Hey, pleasure is mine. Thank you for the invitation. All right, take care.